All the veterans in the house, would you stand? All the veterans, give it up. Those of you who are currently serving, would you please stand? Those of you who are currently serving. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Your church thanks you. Okay, I'm messed up now. I'm crying and stuff, so y'all got to bear with me here. It always moves me when I, when I uh, think about <clears throat> the people who stand on the wall so we can have church today. People who fly through the air, sail through the sea, march on the ground so we can worship God in this house, preach the word. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. Amen. I'm also thankful for Crystal Corbett. Did she sing that song right there? Boy, I got to tell you. Thankful for our band. Amen. For our media team. Give it up for them. Thank you, guys. They have to be here real early. Some of you are still in bed when the media team and band gets here. And uh, they're getting ready to give us uh, their gift and share their gift so we can have church here today. Uh, we just honor our veterans, and we honor uh, those who are not only veterans in the military, but got a lot of veterans in God's army here today. We appreciate you so much. Hey, this coming Saturday night's really important. We're going to dedicate this building to the Lord, and we want you to come. We want you to come. It's not going to be, uh, uh, if you've ever been to the bridge, uh, we used to have Saturday night service on this campus, and we moved it back to Goldsboro. Maybe you've been to the service there. It's normally a duplication of our other three services we have every week, but this Saturday it will not be. Uh, our bishop from Oklahoma City will be with us. He will be speaking, and our bishop from the North Carolina Conference, Bishop Jim Whitfield, uh, will be here, and he will be leading our church in a dedication of this building to the Lord. We're going to have worship and celebration, and so we hope you'll come. And be a part of that on Saturday, 6 o'clock, right here in this room. It'll be a historical night. We've got um, a video uh, that's being created that you're going to enjoy seeing. And so we look for you to come. Bishop Doug Beecham will be here and Bishop Jim Whitfield. And uh, we're looking forward to a great time of celebration for our church. We are in a series of messages obviously, called Guard Your Song, and uh, we're using the word joy and the word song interchangeably because if you've got joy, then you've got a song, and uh, you know that song's in our heart. It's a, a song that's in our heart. If we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and, and we're expressing gratitude and thanksgiving to him for his many blessings, then that creates in our heart a song, and uh, it creates in us great joy. Now, we talk about our song being in our heart, and I've stood beside some of you when you sing, and you need to keep it right there in your heart, okay? And so, uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I think this church sounds awesome when we sing, don't you? You guys sounded so good this morning, worshiping and praising the Lord, uh, but, but you have a song, and maybe you're not the best singer, and uh, maybe, you know, you got your sopranos, you got your... Um, you got your baritone and your alto, uh, you got your tenor, you got your bass, and then there's the rest of us also, you know, that's the fifth one, uh, alto and 
also. But anyway, uh, we just thank you for, for your song. How many of you, how many of you, uh, you sing going to work in the morning? You sing going to work in the morning. And uh, how many of you, uh, you know, look over next to you and the person beside you is looking at you like, have you lost your mind? Because I, I sing in my car, and I know y'all are glad I do it in the car. And I know y'all are glad the windows are up. But I have a song in my heart. And I listened to worship music. I was singing on the way here today. And uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, on Sunday morning, 101.5 WREL plays contemporary Christian music on Sunday morning. Starts about 8 o'clock. And it goes, uh, I don't know, a couple hours. And so I'm able to catch that on the way here. And uh, I have to tell you something. Um, I, I might give up preaching and I might become a worship leader. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I've been practicing with a, a particular instrument and I'm getting better and better, uh, the egg shaker. I, I've been working with the egg shaker. And so if one Sunday, uh, how many of y'all know what the egg shaker, you know what I'm talking about? I've been working with that. So if you look up here, this is a joke, by the way, y'all look scared. Uh, I, I want to tell you that uh, if you look up here one Sunday and I'm up here going, you just flow with it. Just flow with it. It's, uh, it's the man using his gift. All right. So uh, got to have that song, got to have that song, that, that song of joy in your heart. And we're going to talk about it today. When I was thinking about joy, I got to thinking about Jesus and joy. Jesus is directly connected to the joy in your life. As a matter of fact, it's impossible to have joy without Jesus. I mean, you can have happiness without Jesus, but you can't have joy without Jesus. You remember, we defined what joy was. We said, uh, first of all, joy is not happiness, and joy is not laughter, and joy is not success. We know that. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Nothing wrong with happiness or laughter or success, but that's not what joy is. Here's what joy is. Here, here's the definition. Joy is the ecstasy of the soul when a person has peace with God. It comes only from a peace with God. And the only way you can have peace with God is through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's a little narrow. I know, we are narrow here when it comes to that. We're very narrow. The Bible says narrow is the way that leads to heaven. and Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And so there's one way to the Lord, one way to be right with the Father, one way to be right with God, and it is through his person, uh, his son, the person, Jesus Christ. Let's look at some things about joy in Jesus. I want you to know that at his birth, joy was talked about. When Jesus was born, as a matter of fact, those angels that were in the sky when Jesus was born, that's when the first time joy to the world was sung. That's not true. That is not true. Y'all looked at me like, I did not know that. Now, well, it's because it's not true. But I just thought I'd throw it out there and see if y'all are listening today. So joy was mentioned at his birth. Now, if we wanted to read the classic Bible story about Christmas, what book would we go to? Luke. What chapter? Two. I have, some, I have three Bible scholars here today. Three out of this whole crowd. Luke chapter 2 is the classic Bible story. You need to read it in all the Gospels. But in Luke 2.10 it says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, who is the Christ, the Lord. So at his birth, 
The theme is joy. Joy to the world. Joy. Isn't that, isn't that interesting that the theme around his birth was joy? So Jesus commenced his ministry talking about joy. Did you know that when Jesus was getting his disciples ready for him to die, when Jesus was trying to help his disciples come to grips with the fact that he had to give his life, he was talking to them about his death, and guess what subject he brought up? Joy. It's in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 11. Now, the scriptures I'm going through right now won't come up on the screen because I want you guys to know how to use your Bible, okay? So I know some of y'all are, you know, in your little doodad there, whatever that is, and you're, you're looking at the Bible on there, and uh, that's fine. John 14, 11. John 14, 11. He said to his disciples, he said, these things have I spoken to you, listen to this, I think this is so powerful, that my joy, Jesus is talking about himself. He says, these things have I spoken to you that my joy, the joy that is in me, the joy that is in me might remain in you. That's, man, isn't that amazing? The supernatural joy of Jesus in us. Think about that. Let that settle in. He says, these things have I spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy might be full, full. So at his birth, joy. At his death, here comes the theme again, joy. And then you remember when Jesus ascended into heaven? Let's do a little timeline. Jesus was born in Bethlehem and uh, he lived 33 and a half years. In that time, he lived a life of perfection, broke no law of God, broke no law of man, yet he, an innocent man, went to the cross and died in your place and in my place. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. You ever thought about that? Jesus buried in a borrowed tomb. I like what Dr. S.M. Lockridge said about that. Dr. S.M. Lockridge is an African-American pastor, preacher. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. But he said, there ain't no need to buy a tomb if you're just going to use it on the weekend. Amen? So he, was, so he was born. He lived a perfect life. He died not because he had done anything wrong. He died for us. He paid for our sin. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And then, after he rose from the dead, how many days was it between his resurrection and his ascension? Forty days. So he's about to ascend that invisible elevator of God that took him back to heaven. At his ascension, I want you to look what he said, because here's what I'm seeing here is that Jesus commenced, he started his time on earth talking about joy, and he concludes his time on earth talking about joy. It's amazing. It's amazing when you think about it. It really shows us the importance of joy, the importance of our song. John 16, 22, Jesus said, Therefore you now have sorrow. You now have sorrow. But I will see you again. Now this is from the mouth of Jesus promising us that he's going to see us again. Now, Pastor Andy said it in his prayer, and I want to reiterate it here. The doctrinal position of this church as it, as it relates to eschatology, as it relates to the end times, the doctrinal position of this church is that our king's coming back. 
Our king's coming back, and we can show you that many, many, many places in the Bible. As a matter of fact, I did a series a few summers ago called um, The Last Days, looking at the last days, and I would encourage you to uh, purchase that series of messages because I get 10% right off the top. That's not true. That is not true. But I would encourage you to get that sermon series. If you don't know anything about the end times, you haven't studied the end times, you, you, maybe it's the first time, maybe you're back in church today for the first time in a long time, and you've re- never really heard about or thought about Jesus coming back because maybe the church you went to never talked about stuff like that. We talk about it here, and we believe Jesus is coming back. And if you listen to that series, you'll see it all through the Bible. But here he's not coming back. He's leaving, but he's telling us he's going to come back. He says in John 16, 22, let me read it again. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again. And when I see you again, your heart will rejoice and your joy, I love this, no person, no one will be able to take away from you. Isn't that awesome? That's powerful right there. And then I got thinking about Jesus, and I wondered how much joy he had. How much joy did Jesus have? Well, that's talked about in Psalm 45 and 7. It's the, there's a prophecy about Jesus. It's an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Psalms, prophesying Jesus Christ coming, prophesying who Jesus Christ was, Psalm 45, 7. It's really the last part of that verse. And then in Hebrews, and most people believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. It doesn't say who wrote it, but it looks like Paul's writing. It looks like the the same uh, pattern that was used in the other books he wrote. So most people believe Paul wrote it. So in, in Psalm, I think this is interesting, Psalm 45, 7, and then Paul quotes Psalm 45, 7 in Hebrews 1, 9. Y'all with me on that? Hebrews 1, 9 is in the New Testament, and Paul is quoting something way back thousands of years earlier. He is quoting Old Testament, and here's what it says about Jesus. Listen to this. It says, your God... Your father, talking, talking to Jesus, your father has anointed you, Jesus, with the oil of, listen to this, gladness, joy. He has anointed you with the oil of gladness, and I love that this last part was added. It says, more than your companions. And that tells me that when Jesus Christ walked this earth, Jesus is our example, isn't he? And how much, he's our example in how many things? All things. He's our example in everything. And he's our example in joy. He's our example in joy. And the Bible says that Jesus had more joy than any companion, anybody he was around. Jesus had the most joy. So I wanted to just show you some scriptures in the the, uh, introduction to this message about joy. I wanted to just show you some things about joy. Now, I want to give you five things about joy today, five things, but I'm, not, I'm going to skip it. Uh, guys that are doing the slides, if, you, if you'll take note of that, I'm going to skip over it, and I'm going to do those five things at the end of my sermon. I did them at the beginning of the sermon earlier, but I did them at the end. I'm going to do them at the end of the sermon today and, uh, because I want to fake the devil out. You know, sometimes he thinks he's got us figured out, and I'm just going to fake him out. I'm just make, I'm make a move on him today. All right, y'all with me? Can y'all handle it? Amen. Well, let's, let's go back and do a little background about what we talked about already in this sermon. We're talking about the Israelites. We're talking about the children of Israel. 
And we're talking about um, uh, how they've been so blessed by God and, and how they were God's chosen people. And he led them out of, the, out of the land of bondage in Egypt and led them through the wilderness and into the promised land. And, and boy, the, the, the wilderness, you know, it was a desert place and they struggled to get out of the desert place. But, but God finally, through Joshua, led them into the promised land and they go into the promised land. It's grapes and pomegranates, milk and honey, corn and wine, fertile ground. The barns were full. I mean, it was the good life, the good life, the good life. And they were focused on that and they were focused on their God and they were focused on the right things and as long as they understood the blessings of God and were thankful for the blessings of God and weren't problem counters but they were blessing counters are y'all listening to me don't be a problem counter well, I got some pro I know join the club we all got problems but don't be a problem counter be a blessing counter and they were blessed. You say, well, it's hard. It's hard. I understand that. It's hard for me sometimes. But I want to just put that in you. I want to put that in you today. Be a blessing counter. And so, and so they were blessing counters. And, and because of their focus on God and their thanksgiving to God, and because they were submitted to God, they were joyful. And they were dancing and singing and, and, and uh, making music and playing their instruments. And, and they were just known for their celebration. But listen to me. Listen to me this morning. They got their eyes off God. They stopped appreciating what God had done for them. They stopped being thankful for what God had done for them. And so it made them vulnerable. When you lose your thanksgiving, you become vulnerable to the enemy. When you stop being a problem, when you start being a problem counter and stop being a blessing counter, you become vulnerable to the enemy. Now, I'm going to lay a principle down right here, and I'm probably going to repeat it some, but I want you to get this principle. Here's, why, here's one of the reasons thanksgiving is so important in your life. Because not only is it something you do to appreciate the past, thanksgiving is not just something you do to appreciate the past. Listen, listen. Thanksgiving, gratitude, is what ushers in the blessings of the future. When you're being thankful, think about what it takes to be thankful. What does it take to be thankful? Humility. Because when you thank somebody for something, you know what you're actually saying to them? You're saying, I didn't do this. You did this for me. And that's hard for us because we're prideful people. Amen. Especially the early service. They're really prideful. And so, so we're prideful people. And so to say thank you to somebody means that you are saying I didn't have everything to do with this. Maybe I had nothing to do with this. Maybe somebody else did it all. Thank you. Do you see how that takes humility? That's why it's so hard for some people to say thank you. Have you ever noticed that? How hard it is for some people to say thank you. Uh, it's just amazing to me how, how people just have to really push themselves to be, to be thankful. Here, here's why it's so important that you're thankful. Because not only is it something you are doing in honor of past blessings, it is something that ushers in future blessings. Because, see, if you're not thankful, it tells me you've got a pride issue. And God can't bless pride. As a matter of fact, pride is, 
is really the basis of every sin. If you think about the Ten Commandments and every sin listed in the Ten Commandments, really at the base of every one of those sins is the sin of pride. So thanksgiving, be thankful, guys. Not just, we're preaching on it because thanksgiving's around the corner, okay? I understand that. But thanksgiving is in your life every day. When somebody lets you in front of them, when the traffic's heavy and they just pause and let you get in front of them, you know, wave at them. Just, you know what I'm saying? Just give them a little wave. Because if they didn't let you in, you'd probably give them another kind of wave. So if they're going to let you in, wave at them. Little things. Somebody leaves the door open for you. You know, they walk in ahead of you in a business and they hold the door so you don't have to get the door. Little things. Be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. When you sit down to eat, be thankful. When you put on your clothes, be thankful. Man, when you walk in this building, is this building a miracle? Be thankful. Be thankful. I, 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 we just had some guys got back from a mission trip and when they got back from that mission trip, they came to the staff meeting and showed us pictures. And, and can I tell you all, can I announce to you all, we're going to have a bridge church in Belize. We're going to have a bridge church in Belize. And uh, that's in Central America. And I feel like y'all need to send me down there since I'm the pastor. And so, uh, so and I really do, I am going down there. I'm going down there. I want to go. And I just, I want to just thank uh, um, the leadership, uh, our missions board leadership, and, and Jerry Allen, especially on leading uh, this effort to help us get a church established down there, and he and Pastor Josh going down there. And I looked at the building they had. I love this one picture. The guy who I think is the pastor of the church, there's a crack in the wall. And all they wanted us to do was fix that crack in the wall. So they took a picture of the pastor pointing at the crack in the wall. Amen. And so I, I looked at and they were so thankful for their little building. So thankful. No air conditioning, no heat. And they were so thankful. And then we walk in here. And this is just, I mean, if they... If we went and got them and brought them and just brought them in here, they, they would think they were in heaven. I mean, we're so blessed. Do you hear me, church? In your personal life, you're blessed. Thank, you say, my job is hellacious. Thank God for it every day. Because if you didn't have that job, you couldn't eat any cornflakes. I'm just saying. <laughs> Amen. You, you, that job might be a, a, a tough thing for you to go through, but i got to tell you, man, it is important that you're thankful. But the children of Israel lost their thanksgiving. Let's read the scripture real quick. Uh, if you'll go to the Proverbs 137. Let's read. By the rivers of Babylon, this is the children of Israel talking. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof it, in the, uh, in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive ask of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, that means joy, saying in mockery, sing us one of the songs of Zion or Jerusalem. How, they answered, the, Jew, the, the Jews answered, how shall we sing whose song? The Lord's. How shall, see, when we're singing up in here and praising worship and, and when uh, Crystal was singing, that's not her song. These songs we sing, they're not ours, they're his. They're his songs. 
How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land, in a strange land? If I forget you, Lord, if I forget you, Jerusalem, which was a picture of God, if I forget you, Jerusalem, which was a blessing from God, in other words, if I forget the blessings of God, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. I don't need to know how to play the guitar. I don't need to know how to play the keyboard. I don't need to know how to play the drums. I don't need to know how to play the egg shaker. If I'm not going to use it to glorify God, he said, let us, let us uh, uh, just, just let my hand forget its skill. Verse, verse uh, 6, if I do not remember you, O God, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth because if I'm not going to remember you and praise you and be thankful to you, I don't really need to speak because that is my primary purpose for being able to speak is to give you glory if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. And then we ask ourselves, what is our chief joy? What is our chief joy? And then we talked about, we talked about uh, four things. We're going through four things. And next Sunday is the last sermon in, in this series. Next, next weekend is the last sermon in this series. But let's look at the two things we've talked about, and then let me mention one more thing, and then I'm going to close by giving you those five things very quickly. Number one, the misery. Look what it says. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept. Tears were streaming down their face. Why? Because they weren't in Jerusalem anymore. Because of their lack of thanksgiving, they became vulnerable to the enemy. The enemy took them out of their land of promise and brought them to the land of Babylon, and they're weeping. When you get away from God and you get away from the blessings of God, you're going to be miserable. When you're not right with God, listen to me. If you're a Christian in this house today, if you're a Christian in this church today, and you've drifted away from God. You say, well, I've, I've drifted, Pastor, but I don't know if I've really drifted away from God. You always drift in the wrong direction. You never drift in the right direction. You never drift toward God. You never drift toward heaven. You never drift toward a more dedicated life. To get there, you got to paddle. Amen? Because the current of this world isn't going in the right direction. The current of this world's going in the wrong direction. So are you drifting? And if you are, and if you have been, you're not where you used to be with God. And when you're not where you used to be with God, you can tell me anything you want to tell me. I'm going to tell you what's right. I'm going to tell you the truth. There's a misery in you if you're a child of God and you're not walking in intimacy with God. You say, how do you know? Because I've been there, done that, bought a bunch of T-shirts. I've been there. You say, but you're a pastor. And you've been a Christian since you were seven years old, and you've been a preacher since you were 17 years old. I want to tell you something. You can do godly things and still drift away from God. You can drift away from God in Bible college. You can drift away from God pastoring a church. You can drift away from God singing in the choir. You can drift away from God being in the praise band. You can drift away from God being a, being a Sunday school teacher. Just because you're doing spiritual things doesn't mean you're moving toward God. Amen. That's good. Preaching up in him. Amen. Thank you. So if you're right with God, you're going to have joy. You get away from God, you're going to have some misery. And let me tell you something about that misery. It's good. I knew I'd get a lot of amens on that. It is good. The worst thing God could do is let us be away from him and feel the same way we do when we're close to him. Why do we get that miserable feeling in us? Because we're out of bounds. What does the referee do when you step out of bounds? Blows the whistle. 
he blows the whistle, and the Holy Spirit will blow the whistle on us. Thank God for that. So now we see them weeping in misery, all because they were unthankful. It all started. Do you understand what I'm saying? It all started with an unthankful heart. It all started with being unthankful. And then we talked about the memory. The reason they were weeping is because they remembered the blessings of God. And when you remember the blessings of God, and you don't have those blessings anymore, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to either make you bitter or better. When you get away from God, you can either get bitter or better. And I know some folks who had some bad things come along in their life. Life dealt them some bad things. Life dealt them some things that were really unfair. And you're sitting right here right now. Some of you sitting right here right now, you've had life deal you some things that aren't fair. It's not fair. I mean, if you look at it from a human perspective, here's some guy sitting over here who, who never is sick, and you're battling with sickness all the time. Here's a guy over here, everything he touches turns to gold. Everything you touch breaks. Who, who's ever felt like that? I felt like that. So that's your challenge. You're either going to get better from your challenges or you're going to get bitter from your challenges. So you've got to check that out about yourself. Jerusalem was a place they remembered. It was the place of fellowship with God. It was where the temple was. They were cleansed from sin. They were, they were remembering the Holy Land. I mean, they were remembering all this grass and all the thick, lush um, um, vegetation and, and landscape. And they were just remembering how their, their barns were always full. And they remembered that. And now, because of their lack of thanksgiving, here they are in a strange land on the banks of the rivers of Babylon with tears flowing down their face while they remember the days when they were enjoying the goodness of God. You see, that's why I tell you that Thanksgiving is not just something that deals with ha things that happen in your past and you're being thankful. It ushers in the future. Thanksgiving ushers in, ushers in what's going to happen in your future. I thank God for the blessings of the past, but I was counting on a few in the future. Amen? But if I'm not thankful for what God has done, I might miss out on some stuff in the future. So we talked about memory. Now I want to talk about the thing we came to talk about today, and that's the mockery. The mockery of a believer in bondage. Look what it says in Psalm 137, 2 and 3. It says, we hung our musical instruments, our harps. We hung our electric guitar. That's the modern version. We hung our um, harps upon the limbs of the trees, the willows in the midst of it. And here comes the mockery. Look at the mockery. Look at the sarcasm here. For those who carried us away captive ask of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth. They said, we know you've lost your blessing. We know you've lost your promised land. We know you've lost everything. We know we've stole everything from you. Not only did we steal everything you own, we stole you. And we brought you with us. But we want you to be happy anyway. We want you to be joyful anyway. It's mockery. It's ridicule. We want you to show mirth anyway. So now we see a picture of, of the captives being commanded by their tormentors to sing. Such sarcasm. Be joyful like you were in Jerusalem. Come on, guys. We've heard about you. You Jews know how to throw it down, man. Come on. Let's sing. Come on, man. Sing. You people are known for your music. You're known for dancing. 
when you worship your God. So let us see some of that now. Sing us a song. I tell you what, be joyful the same way you were when you were in God's blessing. Be joyful in captivity. Listen to me. You can't be joyful as a Christian when you're in a strange land. You can't be joyful. There are two times when Christians are, are mocked. Two times. They're mocked when they stand for righteousness. Isn't that right? You ever taken a, taken, is that a word? Taken, taken. Have you ever, have you ever taken a stand for righteousness um, on your job and got persecuted? You ever taken a, a stand for righteousness on, maybe you're an athlete on your team and you got persecuted? How about you young people? Have you ever taken a stand for the Lord at school and you got persecuted? <laughs> Here comes one. Everybody can say amen too. Have you ever taken a stand for Jesus on Facebook and got persecuted? <laughs> amen. So you're going to get persecuted when you do right. But you're also going to get mocked when you fall. That's why these people were being mocked. That's why the, the people in our story in Psalm 137 were being mocked. It wasn't because they had taken a stand for righteousness. It was because they had fallen. See, the world's looking. They're watching us. And i got to tell you, man, that the world delights. Satan delights. The enemy delights when a child of God falls and fails. The world loves it when there's a scandal in the church. The world loves it. The world loves it. Satan loves it when a child of God lowers the banner. Somebody said when this happens, it is a victory for the world and its prince. When the, when the child of God sins, when the child of God falls. Well, all you have to do to know whether a child of God is going to fall or a child of God is going to sin or a child of God is going to fail, all you have to do to know that is look at your Bible because they did it all the time in the Bible, didn't they? David was a man after God's own heart, but he had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Peter said, Lord, when they come to take you, you can count on me. Your other disciples may turn their back on you, but you can count on me. I'll be right there for you. And the Bible says he denied him three times before the sun come up that same day, before the sun ever came up. Christians fail. Christians fall. Christians mess up. And when we look at you and tell you who are here today who don't know Jesus uh, to come to our church, we're not telling you to look at our church, and we're not telling you to look at the pastor, and we're not telling you to look at anybody on staff. I hope we can be an example to you. We're going to try our best to be an example to you, but I've got to tell you something. We're going to fail you. We're going to let you down. We're going to disappoint you. Here's what you need to do. We sung it last Sunday morning. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. He will never fail you. That's what we're doing. I don't want you to follow the bridge. The bridge can't do anything for you. I don't want you to follow Pharaoh Hardison. Pharaoh Hardison can't do anything for you. Follow Jesus. You say, well, I might want to follow Jesus at a different church. It doesn't matter. You just follow Jesus. That's why I told our, our staff, I said, guys, we pray for other churches. I said, I want to get specific. Let's call their names. Let's call the names of other churches when we pray. So we had about five churches we prayed for this morning. We're going to have five more we pray for next week. Because you know what, man? If you're all about the Bible, you're all about Jesus, we're all in this thing together. We're family. We're not competitors. 
You know, you, you know, the bridge isn't like McDonald's and Bethel Church is like Hardee's. We're not competitors. We're all in this thing together. We're family. And when, and when the churches around us do well, we do well because we're in the same body. When my foot's doing good, I'm doing good. Somebody drops something on my foot, it's doing bad, all of me does bad. Isn't that right? And we are the body of Christ. And I don't know how I got on that, but that was some good preaching right there. But now listen, God told us not to be surprised. We're going to fall. We're going to stumble. You say, well, how do I react when I fall? How do I react when I stumble? What do I do? Well, don't run from it. I've stumbled before and, run, and, and tried to run from it. Because here's what you want to do when you stumble. You want to point at other people. When you stumble, when you mess up, when you sin, you want to point at other people. You go, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. Compare yourself to Jesus, and that will humble you. Own your sin. Y'all with me? Own it and repent of it and be transparent to everybody you need to be transparent to about it and get that thing out of your life. Because I serve the God of a second chance and a third and a fourth and a tenth and a fifteenth and a fiftieth and a five thousandth chance. So when you fall, yeah, they'll mock you when you fall, but they will admire you and honor you when you get back up in the name of Jesus. Get back up. Get back up. There's somebody here today needs to get back up. Get back up. Stop wallowing in it. Get back up. Get it clean. Get it right. Go to whoever you need to go to and get it straightened out and get it right and ask forgiveness. You say, yeah, but I don't think they'll forgive me. Then the ball just got handed to them. That's up to them. But when you ask them for forgiveness as humbly as you know how, then you press on and let God develop you and bring you back to where you were and even more than you've ever been before in him. Amen, amen. The Bible says in the book of John, chapter 15 and verse 19, as a matter of fact, these are the words of Jesus. He said, if you were of the world, Christians, 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 if you were of the world, the world would love you because you would belong to it. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. And then I love the next thing he said, yet because you are what? Not of the world. But I've chosen you through the new birth, John chapter 3, out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. It does. It does. The system hates you. It's a system of antichrist out there, and it's growing. So when you stand for righteousness, the mockery level is higher now than ever. And when you fall, it's higher now than ever. So brace yourself for mockery, because it's going to come when you stand, and it's going to come when you fall as a Christian. But when you fall, you can get up. Somebody needs to hear it today. I, I, I sense a quickening in my spirit that somebody needs to hear these words. You can get up. You can get up. You can get up. You don't have to stay there. You can get up. You say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad the sin is that I've done. It doesn't matter. Hear me this day. His blood can wash away every sin. You can get up. You can get up. You don't have to stay down. Samson, the Superman of the Bible, love the ladies. 
You ever thought about Samson, how he wasn't thankful for the gift? I mean, Samson could go brave hard on anybody he wanted to, anytime he wanted to. Samson was, he's bad to the bone. Judges uh, 14, 15, 16. You ever thought about how they rejoiced when they finally captured Samson? And why did they capture him? Not because he stood for righteousness, but because he failed. Because he failed. And they took him. See, he became vulnerable. And they took him. See, they weren't able to take him until he stopped being thankful for his gift. When he stopped being thankful for his gift, he became vulnerable to the enemy. And so they took him and they gouged his eyes out. They, they made him grind at the meal. They took away his humanity. They made him do the work that usually was reserved for some beast, some animal. So they, they totally took his humanity away and how they laughed at him and how they mocked. But Samson, his strength was in his hair. Thank God it's not that way today. I'd be a weak man. But his strength was in his hair. It was in the length of his hair. And he laid his head in the devil's lap and he got a haircut. But what they didn't notice is when he was grinding at that meal every day with his eyes out of his head, poked out of his head, totally blind, they didn't notice something. They mocked and they laughed and they ridiculed. And while they mocked and while they laughed and while they ridiculed, he repented of his sin as he was grinding at that meal. He repented of his sin and his hair grew back. And they didn't notice And I'll just tell you this, because we don't have time to get into that story, but he got back up. He got back up and brought the house down. You can get up. You can get up. Let me give you those five things about joy real quick, and they're going to be real quick. I got two minutes. Number one, your joy, five things about joy. Your joy is vital to your testimony. And these aren't going to come up on the screen. These are some last-minute things God just put in my heart to share. Your, Your joy is vital to your testimony. Now, I want you to listen to me. If you don't have joy, it doesn't matter how well you preach. It doesn't matter how well you teach. It doesn't matter how well you testify. It doesn't matter how much you talk about God. If you don't have the joy of the Lord in your heart, there's no power in your words. Have you ever heard a preacher preach a sermon and it was a good sermon? I mean, it was really a good sermon, constructed well and all of that, but he had no joy in his heart. You ever heard a joyless sermon? You ever heard a joyless song? I don't mean the guy couldn't sing or the musical instrument he was playing, he wasn't good at it. He was good at the instrument, he's good at singing, but he had no joy. I mean, you can go to the soup kitchen and serve the hungry. You can go to the Wayne Crisis Pregnancy Center And you can serve there. You can go to the Community Crisis Center on Slocum Street, and you can serve there. You can go to Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, and you can serve our military and their families there. You can serve. That's wonderful. You can serve in the coffee shop. You can serve on the hospitality team. You can serve in the parking lot. You can serve, but you have to serve with joy or it has no power. Your sermon has no power. Your message has no power. Your words have no power. Your song has no power without joy. So joy 
is vital to our testimony. Number two, joy is fragile. We've already talked about that. Neglect is joy's greatest enemy. Neglect. You can't neglect your joy. You cannot. It is possible to be a joyless Christian. You ever been in a joyless church? I have. I've been in a joyless church. Can I just be real transparent here today? I have pastored those churches. Joyless Christians. Joyless churches. You have to guard your song. Number three, our joy must be constantly evaluated. You have to evaluate your joy. You say, well, I don't know really how to tell if I got joy or not. I can tell you how to tell. Ask your wife. Ask your husband. Ask your children. Ask your best friend. Just look at them right in the eye and say, do I, do I have joy? When you think about me, do you think about me having joy? And let them speak into your life. How many of you know we need to let people speak into our life that we trust and we know who love us? We have to let people speak into our lives. I mean, as a pastor, I have to let my staff speak into my life. As a pastor, I have to let other pastors speak into my life. Because if I don't, I'll talk myself into thinking there's nothing wrong with me. That I'm cool, I'm good to go in every way. But if you let other people speak into your life, they will hold you accountable. And listen, that is good for you. It's good for you. You've got to evaluate your joy. Ask yourself about your joy. Question yourself. Ask your friends, your family. Number four, joy has to be cultivated. It's like a garden. I mean, I could plant a garden. I could plant a garden. I could plant a garden. I'm not going to plant a garden, but I could plant a garden. And if I planted a garden and did everything right and then went in the house and just peeped out the window every three or four days, you know, without going out there where the garden is, I just kind of peep out the window every three or four days and go, man, that garden ain't doing real good out there. What's up with the garden? I see weeds. Now, when I got through with that thing, it didn't have weeds. When I, got, when I planted that seed, when I watered it, I mean, I put plenty of water, but it looks like it needs water again. There's bugs. I see, I see bugs. I see where the rabbits are out there and the deer and whatever out there eating my garden. What? What's up? What's happening to this garden? Listen, you got to work that garden. You want vegetables from that garden? you got to work it. You want fruit from that garden, you got to work it. You want joy in your life, you got to cultivate it. Joy doesn't just come to you, you got to go get it. You have to be intentional about your joy. Spiritual disciplines. What does it take to have a good garden? I wouldn't know because I eat out of your gardens. But what does it take for you all to have good gardens so I can have good vegetables? Let's put it that way. you got to be disciplined. Now, there are people who have mental issues who actually love working in a garden. They need counseling. They need help, these people. I said, what'd you do today? Oh, man, I had the best time I worked in my garden. A person like that just needs help. <laughs> but if you guys are going to give me vegetables, y'all got to be disciplined about your gardens. I'm, just, I'm preaching up here, trying to help you. I love squash, <laughs> cabbage, and collard greens. Can, can I get a witness on some collard greens? 
I mean, after the frost has been on them, you know, and they're not so, oh. Um, matter of fact, my mom was cooking collard greens today, and I'm going to her house and eat me some. People from up north are going, y'all ain't right down here. Y'all just say. <laughs> Spiritual discipline. If we're going to get fruit, we got to discipline. And the final one I want to mention to you, and this is it, I'm done, is that joy, and this is something probably you haven't thought about. How many of you would agree we're in a battle? Can I tell you joy is a weapon? I mean, what does Satan hate more than a joyful Christian? I'm not talking about one of those fake joy Christians. I'm talking about a genuinely joyful Christian. I mean, especially if that Christian is going through just so much bad stuff down here on this earth and still they maintain their joy. What in the world could threaten the kingdom of darkness more than a joyful Christian? So he's going to come at you. He's going to try to take your joy. But what you need to understand is not only does your joy need to be guarded, but you can pull that thing out like a sword and work on him with it. Joy is a weapon. It's like Second Chronicles chapter 20 when Jehoshaphat was surrounded by the enemy. And, the, and the, these, these armies had created an alliance and were coming against him. And, uh, and so he got all the people of God together and they prayed and fasted and a man prophesied, and at the end of that prayer, a Jehaziel prophesied, and he said, he said uh, yeah, you're going to fight in this battle. He said, there's going to be a battle, and you're going to be in the battle, but you haven't got to fight in the battle. Now, that's got to be a confusing message right there. He said, you're, you're going to be in this battle, but you're not going to fight in this battle. And so I'm sure the people of God were like, okay, whatever that means. And then he said, now the reason you're going to overcome the enemy is because the battle isn't your battle, it's God's battle. This is 2 Chronicles 20. Now don't read it now because I'm preaching right now. But go home and read this. It's one of the most exciting stories in the Bible. So, Jehoz so Jehoshaphat comes to God and goes, God, what do I, what do I, how do I attack the enemies? Because here's what God told him. God said, don't wait for the enemy to come get you. I want you to go get the enemy. I love that right there. Because when I read over there in the Bible where it talks about putting on the whole armor of God, where, where is that in Ephesians? Isn't that in Ephesians? And, and you put on the whole armor of God, uh, the armor goes on the front. There's no armor in that Ephesians where it tells you to put on the whole armor of God and it lists it. None of it goes on the back. Isn't that cool? Because you're never to be retreating from the enemy. You're always being on going forward. And I said this the other night at the bridge campus, and a lady uh, spoke out from the congregation and said, that's because God's got you back. Amen. I like that. I like that. So, so, so here they go, and they're about to go into battle. And so Jehoshaphat says, God, how, how do I win this battle? And God goes, let me tell you, I want you to get a choir together. Really? Seriously? Yes. I want you to get your choir together, and I want them to sing this song, Praise ye the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And Jehoshaphat's like, okay, and what else? That's it. I just want them to sing that over and over again. Now, a lot of people criticize churches like ours because we sing the worship choruses. And they say, well, one of the problems with the songs y'all sing is you just keep singing the same thing over and over again. Hey, God started it in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm just telling you. 
He said, I want you to sing, praise you the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And I want you to sing it over and over and over and over. So the choir learned that song real good. And they got up before the enemy did. I like that. There's just some preaching right there. I don't know exactly how to preach it, but getting up before the enemy does. Amen. And they said, so you go into the enemy's camp, send you choir first. Now, I've heard some choirs that were so bad, they could have killed some people, seriously. But that wasn't the case here. This choir was good. This was a good choir. So they're going into the enemy's camp singing, praise you the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And I don't know exactly what happened. The Bible isn't real clear on it, but it looks like to me that the voices of the choir begin to ring off all the mountaintops all around the enemy. And this guy who was sitting out there like the watchman guy, you know, for the enemy's uh, army, he hears all these voices, praise you the Lord for his mercy endureth forever, coming from everywhere. And so he begins to yell, get up, get up, get up. Jehoshaphat's hired an army against us, you know. Jehoshaphat don't have an army, but he hired one. And so he's got an army coming to get us. And so, so, so we got to fight, we got to fight. So they're jumping up out of their tents. I get this picture in my mind, you know. They're getting their swords and their spears and their bows and arrows, and they're confused because that's what joy does to the enemy. It confuses the enemy. That's what worship does. That's why we have worship at the beginning of the service because Satan always has a plan to destroy your service. But when you begin to sing and worship God, he's got to go. He's got to go. So they began to sing and praise God, praise you the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. So these guys are jumping out of their tents and they don't know what in the world's going on. You know what the Bible says? They killed each other. I don't know what y'all see there, but I see the funniest thing in the world because the choir doesn't know this. They're still singing, praise you the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And they arrive on the scene and maybe there's just this redneck guy who's in the choir and he goes, man, everybody's dead. (laughs) Because joy defeats the enemy. Your song, that's why you've got to have a song and that's why you've got to guard it. That's why you can't do without a song. That's why you can't walk around beat down, bogged down, burdened down, depressed all the time because when you are, you are vulnerable to the enemy. You've got to guard your song. You've got to cultivate your song. And if you don't, it'll be because, it'll lead to you being vulnerable to the enemy. You know what they did in 2 Chronicles 20? After that, they went around and took several days to get off the bodies of all the dead, the jewelry and the ornaments and the things they had stolen from the house of God, and they took it back to the house of God where it belonged. Hey, you can get up. You can get up. Don't lay there. Don't stay there. You can get up. Let's all stand together.